But to what shall I liken this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companions and saying, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We mourned for you, or to you, and you did not lament. In the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Jesus will not conform to your heart. He will not do what you want. He won't play your tune, and he doesn't play your silly games. You can't put him into a box. You can't force him into your understanding of the world. Your hopes, dreams, and expectations are radically different from who he is and what he has come to do. Instead, we pray that Jesus would give us a clean heart. We ask that his desires be conformed to ours, rather ours to his. You ask that he give to you a new song to sing, the song of the Lamb, whose words were written before even the foundation of the world. Jesus doesn't play games, he wins the victory over sin and death once and for all, thus finishing all the wicked games we play in our hearts. He gives a hope that we could never dream of receiving. He points us to a new heavens and a new earth that is more glorious than any life that we could expect. That's what the Reformation is about. It's not about Team Luther versus Team Pope. It's not really about our tribal identity. It's not about some nationalistic faith, German or Scandinavian Lutheran. Nor is it about who is the ecclesiastical authority, who's in charge here. We are not defined as Christians by the congregation we joined or what traditions we keep any more than we are defined by our ethnic heritage. We are Lutheran, but if I asked you to define, if I dared to, what it means to be a Lutheran, what would be your answer? All right, I don't hear anything. So uh, could you tell me, could you tell me what distinguishes Lutherans from all the rest, the thousands of Christian denominations? What is it? I would have it, I would suggest maybe that, to put it simply, Luther and the other reformers sought to have the church, the whole church, the church universal, the church Catholic, speak with the words that Jesus speaks, to confess the doctrine that Jesus confesses, to sing the song that Jesus sings, and to believe the faith that Jesus believes. Anything and everything else the reformers would remind us is dross or chaff or dry brush to be burned up in the fire of the last day. Whatever Jesus has not said, we dare not teach as his word. Whatever Jesus has not taught, we dare not teach as his doctrine. Whatever Jesus has not sung, we dare not sing as Jesus' song. And whatever Jesus does not believe, we dare not believe as faith in his Son.
the faith of the Son. And that's what Jesus would have, and he wouldn't have it any other way. He is long-suffering and patient with us, but he's also just and righteous in his word and deed. You can't, you can try anyway, but you can't shoehorn Jesus into your mistaken ideas, your misplaced hopes, or your distorted dreams. It won't work. If you try it, you won't have the same Jesus anymore. So you can try to conform Jesus and his word to yourself. Try to turn Jesus into what you want, not who he is, or who he says he is. But look at how well that went. We've got a whole Bible full of examples of patriarchs and prophets and kings trying to make God into who they wanted him to be. How well did it go for Adam in the garden? Or Abraham before Pharaoh or Moses in the wilderness or Aaron at Sinai? David and his affair or Solomon? Or even any of those prophets, priests and kings who chose to live by the lies their heart told and not by the truth that God had revealed. How well did it go for them? Well, Jesus always repented them, changed their heart and their mind. But often, as we know from the scriptures, through great suffering, misery, heartache, pain, and sometimes even through death. Jesus always preserving a faithful remnant, even as his own church fell into confusion, rebellion, and idolatry. That's been the pattern of the Christian church and really the Christian life since the beginning, since the beginning of sin, the origin. But it's helpful also to remember today uh, the three classical categories we might use to describe that spectrum between belief and unbelief. There is, of course, orthodoxy, belief, there's heresy, unbelief, and then there's everything in between, which is heterodoxy. Again, orthodoxy, heterodoxy, and heresy. Of course, heresy you know quite well. That's just rank idolatry. That's to believe, teach, and confess a faith that just rejects Jesus flat out. Doesn't want anything to do with his forgiveness and his life. Sometimes that's with worship of blatant idols, golden calves, totem poles, little fat statues, and the like. But more often than not, heretical beliefs are really disguised as good things, humanistic, charitable, even pleasurable. So it is today the heretical worship at altars of medicine and technology, science. Some even worship the state. And these false gods demand worship full and complete, and will not have you putting your fear, hope, and trust in Jesus at all or even alone. They don't even bother to try to get Jesus to play their tune. They just reject him altogether. That's heresy. And then, of course, on the other end of the spectrum, belief we call orthodoxy. That is defined as making the good, correct confession, orthodoxus. The goal of every Christian, of course, is to live the orthodox life, to live completely top to bottom, inside and out, with faith in Jesus. 
And God has promised his Holy Spirit, who works night and day, from baptism to the grave, to keep you with Jesus, and in the confession given in his word. He wants your every word and work every day, not just the Sabbath day, to have or to be done in faith and out of faith in Jesus. Every thought, word, and deed done in faith and out of faith in Jesus. Of course, while on this side of heaven, while we remain yet in the flesh, this means that our life has to be lived then in the faith in Jesus that gives forgiveness of sins. So while he is giving you words to speak, the song to sing, and the doctrine to confess, he is at the same time forgiving you. Forgiving you. He gives life, breath, and voice to you, and through that life, breath, and voice forgives you, makes you orthodox, that is right praising. But today, on the Feast of the Reformation, what we especially consider is what it means to be reformed. That is, to be changed from heterodox to orthodox. Of course, heterodoxy, you can hear hetero, meaning unlike, right? As in, like, heterosexual, male and female. What this is describing is a mixture of faith in Jesus and trust in others at the same time. Like oil and water, though, they cannot be mixed. And so we live a double life. You can't believe that Jesus died for your sins and was raised for your justification, and then also believe that you have to earn, work, or merit your salvation. They don't go together. Either one is true and the other is false, or they're both false. Either Jesus died for you to forgive you, to save you, or you save yourself. They're exclusive statements. If you have to merit salvation, then you don't need Jesus. And if Jesus has earned salvation, then he doesn't need your works to do it. But as Dr. Luther and the rest of the reformers recognized, our life in the flesh, that life that we heard described from Romans, our life in this world, and even our life here in the church on earth, it's never so cut and dry, black and white. Every Christian who yet lives in the flesh struggles between what they know is the right confession, the orthodoxy, and then what they secretly hope to be true, the heresy. In every Christian, both truth and error sit simultaneously. Our heart and our mind are not, by nature, believing in God, trusting in Him. Instead, what Paul describes for us, especially in Romans and in Galatians, is a civil war of sorts between the faith given by the Spirit and the desires of the flesh. These two are at war within you, he says. And sinners, in a desperate attempt to justify their rejection of God's word and unbelief, will then either try or believe in Jesus or rather try to find some way to cover for their error. And what Luther and the Reformers experienced is that the easiest way to cover up for the sinful heart is to institutionalize it, make it part of the confession of the church. That is, to make the right confession of the church a mixture, 
a heterodox church. So God the Spirit, working through them, called them to repentance again. And for us, the Church of the Reformation, we believe that the Spirit is always calling us as Christians to repentance once again. Not just week in and week out, but day in and day out. Just as he did in the days of the patriarchs and prophets and priests, God willing, he will do among us today. The Reformation is about the Spirit calling the churches to repentance again, to cast off whatever has gotten in the way of Jesus and his word, faith in Jesus. So the Reformation was the Spirit of God calling the whole world to repentance. Not just individual Christians, not just the Christian church, but even, you know your Reformation history, calling civil rulers, both godless and godly, to repentance and faith in the word of Jesus. While it was never complete, while that work is ongoing even today, the Spirit is doing it. The Spirit continues today and all days, calling all sinners to repentance, calling every institution polluted by sin to repentance and faith in Jesus. So today we can give thanks to God for Dr. Luther, for the work of the Reformers, but ultimately for the freedom in Christ that the Spirit restored. We ask that he work the same repentance in us, and that we and all Christians be called, gathered, enlightened, and sanctified, not for Team Luther or uh, Team Pope, but rather, you might say, for Team Jesus, the Holy Christian Church. And we pray that the same Spirit keep us faithful in Jesus, having us speak Jesus' words, confess Jesus' doctrine, sing Jesus' song, and believe Jesus' faith. May God grant it in the name of Jesus. Amen.